This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com. Major funding for this Tanya class is provided by the Mettel Corporation. Additional funding is provided by Tanya students like you. Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. If a person loves Hashem, just like if a person, if you love someone, you love someone and then you'll do what they ask you to do and you do it with pleasure. Or you may be motivated by a, a sense of a fear. If you fear someone, someone in authority, someone you're afraid of, if he asks you to do something, not to do something, you're afraid to go against his wish. So too, if a Jew loves Hashem, or if you're in awe of Hashem, if Hashem tells you to do something, you do it. If Hashem tells you don't do it, Hashem tells you don't do it, you don't do it. But if, a, if, you're not, if you don't have a love for Hashem, you don't have a sense of awe of Hashem, then you can do the mitzvah, but you're not thinking about Hashem. Why are you doing the mitzvah? For ulterior motives. Either I may be doing the mitzvah because I'm, af I'm afraid I'm going to get punished, I'm thinking about myself, or I'm looking for the reward, or I just do it by rote, mechanically. Theoretically, many people can do mitzvah just going through the motions, by rote, mechanically. We just do the mitzvah without any thought. We don't think about it, it's just we're trained a certain way, and this is tradition, and this is the way we do it, and we do it, but there's no thought process behind the mitzvah, and there's no feeling behind the mitzvah. And then the mitzvot cannot be elevated, the mitzvot cannot have no energy, have no spiritual energy. The mitzvah is just the physical act. And the mitzvot cannot soar and cannot connect and cannot go up, upwards. So up until now we discussed those two tracks of lishma, Either love of Hashem, you're motivated by a love for Hashem, or you're motivated by a sense of awe of Hashem. Now, in this chapter, he's going to introduce a new way, a new approach. And that is through compassion. Because the three main emotions within the heart are love, awe, and compassion. That's why we have the three patriarchs. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Abraham embodies, represents kindness. Abraham was the epitome of kindness. His tent was open. He rescued his nephew. He was the epitome of kindness. What's the inner motivation behind kindness? Love. When you love someone, you do kindness to them. Yitzchak was the exact opposite. Heroism, sacrifice, intensity. What's the inner motivation? Yitzchak was all about awe. Yitzchak was an awe of Hashem. When you're in awe of Hashem, you're, you feel a trepidation before Hashem. You feel the greatness of Hashem. It humbles you. You realize how insignificant we are in comparison to Hashem. And Yaakov, who is the most perfect of all the patriarchs, 
he was the segel. Segel comes from the word treasure, but if you know the Hebrew, the of segel, segel, segula. Segel is a right, a dot on the right, a dot on the left. Just the two dots, that's a tzere. But then the segel is in the middle, in the center. That's a triplet, that's a three. That's the third. That's segula, that's the treasure. That's what's so special about uh, Yitzvah, about uh, Yisrael, about uh, Jacob. Jacob represents the center, compassion. Only a mature person has compassion. Children don't have compassion. Children can be very cruel with each other. Children can be very inconsiderate with each other. And they don't even realize the harm that they're doing. You know, they make fun of their, 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 their friends and their classmates and they don't even realize the harm that they're doing. There's no compassion. An immature person doesn't have compassion. Everything is black and white. The ability to look a little deeper and to be compassionate, yes, maybe a person is guilty. Not everything in life is black and white. Not everything is reduced to right or left. Prosecutor or or lawyer. (laughs) Yes. They cancel out prosecution, the defense. There's two ways of looking at things. The cup is half full, the cup is half empty. What do I emphasize? Do I emphasize the cup that's half empty? Do I emphasize the cup that's half full? That's the two approaches to life, right versus left, conservative, conservative versus liberal. Being critical, but looking at it with a kind eye, the right eye, the left eye, the right hand or the left hand. Do you draw near or do you reject? Some people are predominantly right, very loving and embracing. Some people are predominantly left, very critical and overcritical, harsh with themselves and with others. Two different approaches to life. But compassion goes much deeper. Compassion says, yes, the person is guilty, but have Rahmanas. <laughs> There's a human being there. Underneath all those labels, and then behind all that, all that behavior, even that negative behavior, and the person is guilty, but beneath it, underneath it all, is a soul. An undefined soul, a real person. And when you go a little deeper, then you have Rachmanus. So Rachmanus is very profound. It's very deep. And Rachmanus is also all-encompassing. You know, even someone who doesn't love, but he can have Rachmanus. Even the person who's so far out that he doesn't feel any love, any humanity left, but there's, you still have Rachmanus. You can still have pity, compassion. When a person ceases to have Rachmanus, when you stop having the ability to have compassion, then in a way you cease to be human. So you, the ability to have pity is like your last connection to humanity. And it's, it's that ability to have Rachmanus. On, so th- this is an approach to Hashem. Instead of approaching Hashem through love, or approaching Hashem through awe, approaching Hashem through the ability of compassion. To awaken something within, to awaken within your soul. To awaken your soul, that your Judaism, your mitzvot should be, should have some spiritual 
aspect to it. Not just the physical act of the mitzvah, but it should be some soul involved in the mitzvah. So in addition to approaching it by developing a love for Hashem, as we discussed in the last few chapters of types of loves, or developing a sense of awe of Hashem, here he says it's about developing a sense of compassion. Compassion. And now he's going to explain what he means. In the previous chapters, the Alter Rebbe explained how a Jew can perform Torah and mitzvah with his heart, with the love and fear of Hashem. When a Jew is motivated by love and by a desire to cleave to the Almighty, his Torah and mitzvah will then surely be lishma, with the most purely focused intentions. This, in turn, will add vitality to his endeavors. It is also possible, as explained in the previous chapter, that his love for Hashem is such that he is motivated in his Torah and mitzvah by the desire to cause Hashem gratification, just as the son strives to do all he possibly can for his father. His father may derive pleasure from his actions. Love and fear of Hashem stem from the two attributes of kindness, chesed and severity gevura. The attribute of kindness and love is that exemplified by our forefather, Abraham, who is described as Abraham who loves me. The, the attribute of severity and fear is that of our forefather, Isaac. The patriarch, Yaakov, refers to Hashem as the fear of Isaac. In the chapter that follows, the author Rebbe describes yet another manner of attaining the level of Ishma of performing Torah and Mitzvah with the innermost feeling of one's soul. This approach consists of utilizing the third of the primary spiritual emotions, namely compassion. The attribute of Tiferet, beauty, which is the distinctive characteristics of our characteristic of our forefather Yaakov, as follows. Before engaging in Torah and Mitzvah, a Jew should arouse in his mind the attribute of compassion for the divine spark of his soul. For the soul had to descend from its source, from the most lofty of spiritual heights, to the nethermost level, in order to garb itself in a body whose life force derives from people and is as distant as possible from Hashem. This is all the more so if the individual will cause the exile of the Shekhinah through improper thoughts, speech, or deeds. With this sense of spiritual compassion, he should study Torah and perform mitzvah, for they enable the soul, with the divine spark that animates it, to return to its source in the blessed Ein Sof. You know, there's a, an existential angst. Just by our being and our existence, if you realize the sorry state of our soul, the fact that the soul descended, plunged from its peak, from its spiritual height, from its spiritual source, and the soul descended into this world, for the soul this is a traumatic descent, even before anything. For the soul, just like the baby, the baby cries right the moment it's born, the baby yells, cries. The baby is crying. The baby, the soul just left heaven. For the soul, this is a roller coaster ride. This is a traumatic experience. It's a plunge 
from the peak to the abyss. And it's a traumatic experience. And the, the soul never stops crying. The baby within us never stops crying. That innocent purity, that innocent pure self, we don't experience it. Except maybe on Rosh Hashanah when we cry, the cry of the chauffeur. That's our existential cry. We're crying out. It's a simple cry. We don't even have any words for it. It's not anything specific. It's not, I did something wrong, so I'm crying. No, Rosh Hashanah, we don't confess. Rosh Hashanah is not a time of confession. It's not just that existential angst, that I exist, that there is an I, that there's an ego, there's an I that I came down into this world. <laughs> the soul is in pain. It's constantly in pain. It never stops being in pain for one moment. We don't sense that pain. A tzaddik, tzaddikim, special sensitive Jews, they sense this pain all the time. And that's why they're driven, they're motivated. They have to soothe the soul. The soul needs soothing. The soul is in pain. How do you soothe the soul? There's only one way. Torah mitzvah. That's the only thing that can soothe the soul. And only by fulfilling your divine mission could you justify that traumatic pain. Otherwise, every moment that our soul exists in this world, and we're not studying Torah, we're not doing a mitzvah, we're not doing something divine or something godly, we're not fulfilling our divine mission, that pain is, is not justifiable. The soul is torture. The soul is in pain. So if you have Rachmanus, if you realize that your soul is in pain and your soul needs soothing, it evokes compassion. You see a child crying, you see a baby crying, you see a baby in pain. You can't help but have Rachmanus. You respond. Your own soul is in pain, your own soul is crying. So if you realize that you have Rachmanus, you want to calm, you want to soothe the soul. And the only way to soothe the soul is to studying Torah and doing mitzvah. There's nothing else that can address its pain. So then you, the mitzvah that you're doing is, is, is with soul, with feeling, with compassion, with Rachmanus. There is yet another direct path open to man, namely to occupy himself with Torah and mitzvah, that are lishman, literally for their own sake, with the innermost feelings of heart and soul. So he says direct path. Because this is a direct path that's open to everyone. The other path that we learned earlier is not necessarily direct, and it's not necessarily open for everyone. This is a highway. This is, the other ways are like small roads, country roads. <laughs> you can negotiate it, you may not negotiate it, you may get bumped in the middle. It's difficult, but this is something that's open to everyone. It's a highway, it's open, it's a, it's a huge road, it's a straight road. And it's open to everyone. In other words, even someone who has difficulty in evoking a sense of love for Hashem, even someone who has difficulty in evoking a sense of awe of Hashem, and like we learned earlier, the difficulty of how trying to evoke and, and uh, even the bare minimum, an awareness of love for Hashem, an awareness of, of awe of Hashem, how difficult it is. But here, to arouse pity and compassion this is a highway. This is a straightway. This is open to everyone. This is the middle road. This is, this is uh, open to everyone. How? Continue. 
Through the attribute of our forefather Jacob, peace unto him, this being the attribute of mercy. We only have three patriarchs. There are 12 tribes, but only three patriarchs. Because every Jew has within them all three qualities. We inherit from Abraham, we have the love for Hashem. From Isaac, we, we have the awe of Hashem. And from Jacob, we have this compassion, this beauty and this compassion. And this we inherit, inherently, every one of us. The tribes, every one of them had their own path, their own... Not every Jew automatically inherits the path of all 12 tribes. Just your particular path, your particular tribe. But the patriarchs, all Jews are equal. We all inherit this quality. Continue. This is accomplished by first arousing in his mind, uh, for example, before his performance of Torah mitzvah, great compassion before Hashem, for the divine spark which animates his divine soul that has descended from its source, the life of life, the blessed I am so, who pervades all worlds and animates them with vitality which is enclosed in and compatible with the created being and encompasses all worlds and animates them with vitality that transcends created beings and affects them from without, as it were. And in comparison with whom everything is accounted as nothing. He just specified three different levels. The lowest level being how Hashem fills all the worlds. Just like the soul fills the body, and the body, every cell of the body is alive, is inseparable from the soul. The body is completely unselfconscious. The soul is 100% completely in charge of the body. You don't lift a pinky without the soul. And this is the lowest level. It sounds, this, and even that level, <laughs> we're not exactly in tune with that level. Um, if we were to feel that Hashem is our soul, and that we are completely nullified before Hashem, and we don't even sense our existence, there's no ego, and Hashem is totally in charge and control of every aspect of our life, every detail of our life. Hashem runs this world and is in charge of this world, in charge of our livelihood, in charge of our health, in charge of our success, in charge of our shidduch, in charge of our everything. Hashem is, is running this world. It's His world. He is the soul. This is the lowest level. If we were to live on that level, this world would be a Garden of Eden. Even that, even that we don't feel. But it's much deeper than that. Hashem's rela- Hashem is not just, He fills all the worlds. Hashem transcends all the worlds. Just like the, the, the subconscious of the soul, the deeper levels of the soul. The soul that we feel, that the soul that animates the body and that we sense, that's only the superficial, the external level of the soul. But the inner level of the soul, the subconscious, the deeper levels of the soul that completely transcend our awareness, that we're completely oblivious to, but it's there, and that's the, 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 and that's the primary aspect of the soul. The conscious level of the soul, the, the, those abilities of the soul that we sense within us, the ability to, uh, to comprehend, and the ability to feel, and the ability to think, and the ability to, to see and to hear. These are all abilities that we sense we're conscious of. But the primary aspects of the soul, we're completely oblivious to the subconscious. There's so much infinite depth within us that we're completely unaware of. The part that we are aware of is just the tip of the iceberg. And, and that deeper, those deeper levels of the soul are really what animate us and sustain us. Because the body is a miraculous, life is a miraculous uh, thing. There are billions of events that happen in the body simultaneously, every split second. 
this is not on a conscious level. 99% of what happens to us is completely unselfconscious. And yet everything works so perfectly. All the atoms, perfectly, billions of atoms. Not a single atom takes a lunch break or <laughs> makes a left turn instead of a right turn. The whole, this, this is magical. How it's all so perfect and so infinitely precise down to the... I mean, we're like a, like a factory. The body is like, a, is like a factory. Tens of thousands of factories that are producing perfectly made drugs down to the, to the smallest detail. Everything runs harmoniously, perfectly. And this all happens unselfconsciously. So Hashem transcends the whole frame of reference, the whole conscious world, the world of words and figures and numbers and concepts. And that's the, primary, that's the primary aspect of the soul that sustains us. So too, that's the primary aspect of the divine energy that sustains us. And in that sense, there's no difference between the brain or the toenail. Every, every cell of the body is, is alive, alive, equal, equally alive. It's like the willpower within a person, the pleasure within a person. There's no seat for pleasure. There's no seat for willpower. It's not like the brain. The seat of intellect is in the brain. The seat of emotions is in the heart. You know exactly where it is. You know exactly where, where its seat is. What house is it? But the house of the seat for will or for pleasure, there is no house. There is no seat. It's, it permeates every part of the body equally. So this is the transcendent aspect of the soul. And so too... We talk about the transcendent aspect of Hashem, of the divine, that completely transcends the whole frame of reference of the universe. All of consciousness is higher than consciousness, even the highest level of consciousness. It's, it's subconscious. And that's the primary aspect, that's the infinite aspect and the primary aspect of the divine. And that's what animates us and sustains us. And creates us. Sustains us. But we're completely oblivious to it. Just like we're completely oblivious to our soul. And 99% of what's happening within us are completely oblivious to everything that's going on inside of us. Because it's totally beyond us. It's what eludes us. But that's the primary force behind everything. The will, the pleasure, the, the, the soul. But we don't sense it. Not because it's not there. It's so there. It's, it's, it's the primary force behind everything. But it eludes us. We don't have the tools with which to comprehend it. So it transcends us. So too, the divine transcends us. The level where God animates us and sustains us like the soul fills the body, that we sense. We sense the divine energy. But the level that we're able to sense is a very limited level. But then there is Hashem, the way He's infinite, the way He's transcendent, the way He's beyond. And that's the primary, um, primary energy that really sustains us. And then it goes even deeper than that. Because even when you say that God transcends the world, even when you say that God is infinite, to say that God is infinite has to have some relationship to the finite. You say it goes on forever and ever. It has to have some relationship to existence that doesn't go on forever and ever. But but it transcends that existence. It goes on forever and ever. It's infinite. But there's some relationship. But then you have the essence of Hashem. In relationship to the essence of Hashem, there's no connection, there's no, there's no relationship. As al Rebbe uses the parable, in the second part of Tanya, which we learn, that if someone is going to tell you 
that I learned the concept, and the concept was, I was able to grab the concept with my fingers. I heard today something so profound, and I was able to grab the concept with my fingers. It's a nonsensical statement, right? Why? Because you can't grab concepts with fingers. You can grab concepts with your mind. But it's equally nonsensical if someone told you that I heard today such a profound concept. It was so deep. It was so profound. I couldn't grab it with my fingers. It's a nonsensical statement. Why? Because there's no connection. You can only, even by saying, you can only compare things that have some comparison. So I can say, it's so deep, I couldn't understand it. It's, it's so infinite that, that I, it, it, there's no end to it. So it means there's some comparison. By calling something infinite, it means that you're comparing it to something finite. There's something to compare. It has a comparison. There's some relationship. One drop in the ocean is nothing in comparison to the ocean. Okay, yes, a drop. What's a drop in the ocean? But there's something to compare. I can compare one drop to the whole ocean. There's, you can relate to it. So by saying that I could, or, or by saying that it's so transcendent, that you can't capture it, and you can't, there's some relation, there's some connection. Transcendence, and the infinite, is related to the finite and to the limit. Otherwise, how can I compare? There's no connection, there's no relation. Just like you can't say, it's so deep I couldn't touch it with my feet. Because there's no connection. It's two different worlds. So too, in relation to the essence of Hashem, the world, there is no relationship to the world. It's as if the world doesn't exist. You can't even say Hashem is infinite. You can't even say Hashem transcends this world. There is no world. There's no connection. There's no relationship between Hashem and the world. You can't even compare. There's no comparison. Even to say that Hashem is so much greater than the world. When you say Hashem is so much greater than the world, and so much bigger than this world, and transcends this world, and He's infinite, and we can't contain them, and we can't define them, and we can That comparison alone means that there's some connection. Hashem is so beyond that to Hashem the whole world doesn't exist. Therefore, to Hashem, the infinite, the finite, it's all the same. There's no connection. So this is the reality of Hashem. This is the ultimate reality of Hashem. The absolute reality of Hashem. The essence of Hashem. In relationship to the essence of Hashem, it's as if the world doesn't exist. There's no relationship, there's no connection. You can't say Hashem is greater than this world. Hashem transcends this world. He is infinite. There's no relationship, there's no connection. It's as if the world doesn't exist. All there is is Hashem. So these are the three levels that we learned, and Altarev repeated this many times in different parts of the Tanya. Hashem fills all the worlds, which is the lowest level, which is quite a beautiful level in itself. Halavai. <laughs> We should reach that level where we sense how Hashem fills us, like Hashem is our soul, and Hashem is in charge, and Hashem runs the world, and we're completely inseparable, and unified, and nullified before Hashem. That's a beautiful level. But that's the lowest level. That's where Malikalam, Hashem fills all the world. But then you realize that there's something much deeper, just like within your soul. After you realize that you feel your soul, you're conscious of your soul, you realize that there's a subconscious, there's a whole inner depth 
that completely transcends your consciousness, that will lose your consciousness, and that's the primary aspect of the soul. What we are conscious of is just the tip of the tip of the iceberg, and you realize how infinite and how beyond and how transcendent your soul is. So too you realize that the divine, all the levels of the divine are able to perceive and are conscious of that energy. That's just the most limited aspect of Hashem. But Hashem Himself completely transcends all the worlds, and He's infinite, and He transcends our whole frame of reference, and that's our primary uh, energy that sustains us. And then you realize that even that level is also not Hashem Himself. That's just Hashem's projection. Hashem's light is projection, but not Hashem. The essence of Hashem, there's no relationship, there's no connection. You can't say Hashem transcends, you can't say Hashem is infinite, you can't. There's no connection. All, all there is is Hashem, nothing else really exists, truly exists. And then you realize that the soul is rooted before the soul was born. Before the soul comes into the body, the soul is rooted in all these levels of Hashem. The soul is rooted in the level of Hashem, the way He fills all the worlds. And the soul's root is even deeper in the level of Hashem that transcends all the worlds. And it's even deeper. The soul of a Jew, a Jew has a piece of the divine essence. The soul of a Jew is rooted in the very essence of Hashem, the way Hashem is for Himself, His absolute essence. That's the peak. That's the root. That's the source. That's the height where a Jew comes from, where the soul comes from. And where did we end up? In this abyss. In this pit. In this coarse, dark, physical, material world. That denies that there is even a God. Aggressive atheism denies, forget about that God is the soul of the body and that God is the soul of the world and he runs the world, he's in charge of the world forget about that, God runs the world Washington runs the world, God runs the world the Federal Reserve runs the world God runs the world forget about that, we're not even talking about that but even to deny that there is an original cause a world that denies that there's even an original cause denies the most logical common sense Reality that there is there has to be an original cause. This coarse, dark world. This world of ego. This is where the soul enters. This is the world the soul enters. A world with lies, filled with lies. A world that's the antithesis of everything that's good and truth and godly and wholesome and decent. A world that's brutish and nasty and filled with intrigue and filled with lies and and it's all about power and it's all about pleasure and it's all about fame, it's all about power. It's the, imagine the, the existential angst of the soul. This is where the soul is coming from. From the palace. And this is where it ended up, in, in the dungeon, in a dark dungeon, a torture chain. This is a torture chain. This is, this is a holocaust for the soul. This is a concentration camp. What's the good news? What? What's the good news? What's the good news? <laughs> it gets worse. One second, before we get the good news. It gets worse than that. It gets worse because it's one thing. Okay, so the soul is born. Fine, that you have no choice. You had no choice. You were born. Your soul came into this world. Balkor as it says in Ethics of Our Fathers. Whether you like it or not, you want it or not, 
Here you go. <laughs> the soul is sent into this world. It's shoved down into this world. It doesn't have a choice. But then, to add insult to injury, we make things worse. Because we choose. We choose to do terrible things. We choose to act immorally. We choose to act. And that we can't blame anyone but ourselves. And to the soul, this is torture. You might as well, you know, it's like taking, taking a baby and putting its hand into the fire. Same thing. A torture. Every time we sin, we're torturing our soul. We're heartless torturers. The soul can never make peace with telling a lie. The soul can never make peace with slandering. The soul can never make peace with doing something immoral. Just living a life of pleasure and doing something immoral. The soul can never make peace with it. There's no alternative lifestyles. And there's no... uh, doesn't matter what the majority opinion is or isn't. The soul can never make peace with an act that's completely against the Torah. That's completely immoral and completely wrong. And every time you do an act that's completely immoral or wrong, you're torturing your soul. Mercilessly. No compassion. You're like a sadist. Masochist. You're hurting yourself. Torturing yourself. Mercilessly. And your soul is yelling and screaming and crying. And you don't care. I want to have fun. I'm having a good time. I'm uninterested. I don't care. You just close your ears. That's why society is so loud today. The music is so loud today. Because you just have to close your ears. Because if you, if you opened your ears just for a second, you would hear the shout of your soul. Your soul is shouting so loud. It can't take all this vulgarity. It can't take all this, this garbage that's being dumped in it. This garbage lifestyle. This junk lifestyle. Junk food and junk lifestyle is being imposed upon it. It just can't take it. So if a person just opened his ears for a half a second, he just he would just he would just wake up. That's why that's why we need today 24-7, constant entertainment. You need constant distraction. You can't be alone, left alone for one moment, God forbid, because if you're left alone for one moment with the existential angst, you would you, your soul is shouting at the, at the rooftops, at the top of its lungs, Avrahmanas. So you have to drown it out. Don't think for a second, don't think. Just constant entertainment, constant distraction, constant uh, Disney World, and uh, just try to drown out the shouts. You shouldn't hear the torture chamber. You're torturing your poor soul. So that adds insult to injury. On top of everything else, it's it's bad enough that the soul had to endure and come down into this world, and the soul is suffering as it is, without you adding insult to injury, without you doing anything wrong. Just by being here, its presence is already a painful experience. To add insult to injury, to rub and rub in the wounds, on the sore wounds, you're doing something wrong. All the choices that we've made. That to the soul is under. And then it gets even worse. <laughs> because <laughs> it's one thing we the damage to ourselves. But it's not just ourselves who we're doing damage to. We're doing damage to Hashem. But one step at a time. Continue.
This then is the exalted level from which the soul has descended and has been clothed in the body which is called the serpent's skin. This is an expression in the Zohar that the body is called the serpent's skin. The serpent refers embodies the embodiment of evil, the serpent that seduced Chava, Adam and Chava, to eat from the fruit. And the serpent's skin in the Zohar refers to, in the Eitz Chaim, refers to the different levels of Kalipa. There's the three Kalipas which are absolutely impure and evil. But then there's the skin of the, of the serpent, which is like the most external part of the serpent, which is what the fourth Kalipa, which is called Kalipa Noga. There's some illumination. It has the potential to be elevated. Just like you can remove the skin, you can, has the potential to remove the klipa and to elevate the klipa. This refers to the klipa that a Jew has, the klipat noga. But that's not what he's referring to here. Here he's referring to the idea that the body is like a snake. Because the body is filled filled with pitfalls, ego. That, that's what defines us, our ego, our body, our sense of self. And that's, and that's like a serpent. It, it could be very potential, potentially very degenerate, very corrupting. You know, ego leads us to the ego leads us to the worst places because you know you are selfish, self-centered, self-absorbed. You're closed to the truth. You're not open to any truth. You can't see yourself honestly and objectively. It distorts your viewpoint of yourself and the whole world around you. You just put one finger in front of your eyes and it blocks out the whole world. Your ego blocks out your vision. You can't see anything. You can't see anything beyond the tip of your own nose. You know, you don't even have the tools to critically look at things honestly and objectively and, you know, and everything becomes distorted. So it, it, it's a very corrupting, a very decadent environment. The body, the ego, left to its own devices, is very, very, is the antithesis of the soul. So it's like a snake. And it says it's like the skin of the snake because the body is like this, is like the skin that, that houses, it's like the garment. The body is like the garment, just like the skin is the, is the garment of the snake. So the body is the garment of the soul. So it's mashcha, it's a garment. It's the skin, it's a garment. But what kind of garment is it? A snake. Because the body left its own devices is very corrupting and very degenerate and will lead us to the worst. On its own, ego on its own, ego left unchecked, leads a person to the worst. It leads you to self-destruct, self-destructive behavior, self-destructive lifestyles. It leads you to junk food, it leads you to junk lifestyle. It leads you to the worst. And, and what's worse is that you rationalize it and, and, you, and, and you're completely delusional. Instead of being honest with yourself, you celebrate. You're proud of yourself. <laughs> what, what are you proud of? Are you living like an animal? What's there to be proud of? You're parading in the streets, are you living like an animal? You're proud of yourself? Everything is so distorted, everything is so upside down. But this is where the body leads you. The body left to its own devices, without any sense of something divine, of something godly, of something higher, of something tr truthful and genuine, the body is very corrupting and very degenerate.
and the antithesis of everything that's noble and holy and wholesome and godly and good and meaningful and elevating. So this environment is where the soul enters. The soul is born in this environment. The soul leaves its heavenly perch from the essence of God, from the level of God the way it transcends all the worlds, from the level of God the way it fills all the worlds, and the spark takes a plunge into this environment, to a body that houses the soul. And what's the body? The body is a snake. Not your, it's not your friend, it's your enemy. It's not your friend. You know, have fun. Really. Is this really fun? Where's this fun going to land me? Don't, don't do the right thing. Don't make the moral choices. Really. What's going to happen if I don't do the right thing? Are you my friend? Are you really looking out for my interest? How guilt-ridden will I be? How will it destroy me? And it will just lead me to a dead end. Lead me to addiction where the, the fun is long gone and forgotten. And it will just lead me to pain and suffering. So it's, 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 a, it's a house full of mirrors. It's a, it's a world filled with lies. Everything in this world is lying to us. There's not an ounce of truth in this world. Everything is a lie. Everything is a con. Today we appreciate it more than any other time in history. Because today the con is out. Today we know, we see how everything is lying. Everyone lost any trust. No one trusts anyone anymore. No one trusts the politicians, no one trusts the media, because it's been exposed. Every single thing is a lie. There's not a, a, an honest bone in the whole body. There's not an honest bone in the whole system. Every single thing is a lie. Every aspect of society it's all lies. No one cares about anyone. No one cares about you. Everyone is expendable. Everything is a con. Everything is, is a lie. It's very corrupt and very decadent. This is very, for the soul, this is very traumatic. It's, this is not where the soul is coming from. The soul is genuine. The soul is a piece of the divine essence. For a soul to come into a world which everything is a house of mirrors and everything is a lie and everything is a con, and nothing is genuine. The body is tempting you. Do this, do this. Yeah, I'm your friend. Yeah, have fun. But you're not telling me the truth. This fun is going to turn into destruction. Oh, that, that little detail you didn't tell me about. <laughs> I'm having fun today, but where, where, what's going to happen tomorrow? Oh, you know, just, just have fun for the moment. Don't think. This mindlessness. The body left on its own devices will lead you to mindlessness. Meaninglessness, mindlessness. And you do things that you'll regret for the rest of your life. Why? When? Where? There's no rhyme, there's no reason. So for the soul, this is very painful, it's very traumatic. The soul can't get used to this. Continue. The body is referred to. The body is referred to as a skin, since it serves as a garment to the soul. As the verse states, you have a garment made with skin and flesh. This is moreover the skin of a snake, since the body in its unrefined state is a loathsome, as explained in chapter 31. The divine spark must enter into such a body. 
the body has a lot of potential, raw potential. Once you work with the body and you transform that potential, there's nothing greater than the body. But without that refinement, without that effort, the body left its own devices, the body is quite quite loathsome. The ego will lead you to the worst places. It's not your friend. (laughs) It doesn't have your interest at heart. It tends to be. It's like like the Madison Avenue hype. (laughs) It just wants to rock (laughs) you. Empty your pockets. It's not, it's not your friend. But it appears to be your friend. So it does a good job. Continue. Which is far removed from the light of kings at the greatest possible distance. So besides the fact that you're, you're in this body, which is, which is your enemy, which is loathsome, coarse, and corrupt and decadent, the world that you live in, the environment that you live in is also corrupt and decadent. This entire world is corrupt and decadent. And it seems that it's never been more corrupt and decadent than it is today. It's just now we're wiser to it. Now everything is more exposed because of the information age. So we know it was always corrupt and decadent, but we didn't know to what extent. <laughs> now, now we all know there are normal secrets. And so now we just know to what extent our so-called leaders and so-called it's just, it's just completely bankrupt, completely corrupt, completely decadent. I mean, it's shocking. It's just absolutely astounding and absolutely shocking. How brazen, how blatant. Un, you know, there's no shame. It's just, it's just open. We are corrupt, and we're running, and we'll do exactly as we want, and we'll get away with murder, and we'll do whatever we want. And... The people are lied to and everyone is lied to. It's just one big con. The government from beginning to middle to end, the uh, so-called leaders, it's, no one cares. No one cares about the average person. The average person is there to be used and abused. The average person is just a serf. <laughs> it's just there, a slave and a serf, just to be used and abused and to be taxed to death. <laughs> and that's about it. It's just shocking. It's just absolutely shocking to what extent and to what level. Everything is just one big con. There's, there's just not a single honest bone in the whole system. And, um, you know, so when, when the soul, which is the essence of truth, the soul, which is the essence of dignity, peace of the divine essence enters into a world where people are so looked down at and people are so mistreated and people are so you know the whole language of the world power and who serves who and who's, who's using who you know we live in a world in a normal world in a sane world people should love people and use money money is meant to be used not loved. People are meant to be loved and not used. But here we have the exact opposite. We have a world in which the power elite, those in control, think they're in control. Love money and use people. People are there to be used. People are nobodies. Just there to be taken advantage of and to be used. They love themselves. They love money. They love power. That's what it's all about. 
and, and that's the language. And it's shameless. They're, they don't even hide anymore. Everything is very open. This is, I mean, it's just, it's reached such shocking levels. This is the environment that the soul has to enter. To the soul, this is so anathema. This is so the antithesis of everything the soul believes in, everything the soul knows, the truth, the dignity. Every one of God's creatures has so much dignity. God didn't create a single extra human being. Every soul in this world has a reason, has a meaning, has a purpose. Life has a meaning and purpose. Not to be treated as some cheap commodity that's just to be used and abused and then discarded. And the whole atmosphere, the whole environment of deception and lies and abuse, it's just, it's just so painful for the soul. The soul just can't get used to it. Because the soul is genuine. So on top of everything else, not only did the soul enter into the body, which is bad enough, which is like a snake. The whole environment, the whole world is so corrupt and decadent and deceitful and so filled with lies. And you see it clearly in today's day and age. Ideology is dead. There's no ideology anymore. No one believes in anything anymore. On the contrary, they believe there's nothing to believe in. There's no truth. Truth doesn't matter. It's all about manipulation and power. and, and it's, it's just shocking and mind-boggling. The soul can't live without a belief, without a faith, without truth. That's like ear. You can't live without ear. Ear to breathe. The soul can't live without... It's choking on this pollution, on this corruption, on this decadence. Just, just this whole atmosphere is so poisonous to the soul it's so the soul can't get used to it it's just very painful for the soul it's painful for the soul just to open the news <laughs> and just read what's going on it's just it's hard to you can't reconcile it all make peace with this whole atmosphere and the language and the attitudes and approach since, since this world is a native. Since this world is the native, the coarse caliphate, that is, this world is coarser than the coarsest of caliphate found in the spiritual worlds. This world is considered the lowest of all the worlds, the darkest, the greatest lies, the coarsest, the antithesis of everything that's godly and everything that, that, that's truthful. A world that denies that there's a God. A world... It's completely egotistical and arrogant and worships itself. People worship themselves. A world that thinks that, that they are in charge and they are in control and they can manipulate and use and abuse. This is, this is the darkest of all the worlds. Etc. The Rebbe Shlita notes that this word alludes to chapter 36 where the Alta Rebbe concludes that this world is, quote, lowest in degree. There is none lower than it in terms of concealment of his light, a world of doubled and redoubled darkness, so much so that it is filled with klipot and sitra akra, which actually oppose God. Since the divine spark of the soul is clothed in a body which is animated by the klipat noga of this world, 
it is removed at the farthest possible distance from God. This descent in itself would suffice to arouse compassion for the divine spark of the soul, even when the person has transgressed neither in action nor in speech nor even in thought. Okay, so firstly, the soul enters into the body. So the body, even the body of a Jew, is still corrupt and decadent and in comparison to the soul, the snake. In addition, we live in a world which is the three klipot, the three coarse and dark klipot, which is absolute evil, antithesis of godliness. So that whole environment of atheism and that whole environment of... Even atheism is already a level. Because atheism means at least you're, you're denying God. You have some relationship to God. Then there's the lowest level. God is not even part of the picture. I'm not denying God. I'm not for God. I'm not against God. It's simply not part of the equation. This is the environment that the soul has to live in. The soul lives in this world, in this dark world that's so far from the truth. But that's, all, that's even if the soul never sinned. But now he's going to say, to add insult to injury, continue. And especially will he feel great compassion for his soul when he recalls all his actions and utterances and thoughts since the day he came into being unworthy as they were. Right, so even, even if he, in his present state, he can't think of any sins, actual sins that he's committed. He hasn't done anything immoral. But if you remember everything that you've done as a child since, you've, since you were born and all the things that you've done that were not good, were unworthy. Unworthy means I didn't necessarily do something wrong, but it wasn't right either. I, I acted, but there was no spiritual content. There was no divine content. Ideally, everything a Jew does should have a divine content. Even the act of eating has to have a divine content. You make a blessing before you eat. What's the idea of a blessing? That I'm eating and I'm going to eat this food with the, a divine intent. I have to eat this food in order to be able to serve Hashem. So you inject the divine awareness into this act of eating. And so too, everything that I do has to have a divine awareness going, going about my, my uh, daily life, my career, my business. Everything I do, I have to inject a sense of the divine awareness. If I just act without any divine awareness, that's what he refers to actions that are no good, that are unworthy. They're unworthy acts. I didn't do anything wrong necessarily. I didn't do anything immoral. I didn't commit a sin. I didn't violate the transgression. But the act itself was unworthy. There was no divine content. I'm just going about my life, but I'm not, there's no divine content. I'm not thinking about the divine. I'm not thinking about anything godly. There's no purpose. There's no theme to my life. I'm just going about my life. So if you think about that, continue. And the king of the world is thereby fettered by the tresses, that is, by the impetuous thoughts of the brain. God is, so to speak, fettered by his impetuous thoughts. So this is a quote from Shir Hashirim, the Song of Songs. That Hashem is fettered by the tresses that the Jew and Hashem are tied together. And he explains it here on a deeper level. What it means is that the Zohar explains, it refers to the impetuous thoughts of the brain. 
when the brain is just scattered and you just think thoughts, incoherent thoughts, since we're tied to Hashem, so Hashem is affected by those thoughts. It affects Hashem. Because we're all connected. He's going to explain that the Jewish people are called a, a rope. Yaakov, Hevel Nachalasa. Yaakov is a portion of his inheritance. But Hevel also means a rope. And the idea of a rope is that the Jew and Hashem are connected to each other. Just like a rope. When you're standing on the ground level and you want to move something on the roof, but you can't reach the roof, when you tug your end of the rope, you affect the roof. You, you affect what's going on on the roof. So too, the Jew and Hashem are so connected that whatever is happening in our personal lives, our behavior, our speech, our, our action, even our thoughts, we tug the rope. We affect Hashem. Whatever we do affects Hashem. If we do something positive, it affects Hashem positive. If God forbid we do something negative, then we affect Hashem also. Because we're tied together, we're connected. We have that impact. So even in sin, you see how connected we are. That's like a rope. We're both tied up. We're inextricably tied together. You can't sever that connection. And we affect each other. For Jacob, an appellation for the Jewish people is the rope of his inheritance. Uh, the word Hebel usually translated as lot. I uh, attracted them. Yes, the idea of a Shekhinah is an exile. When a Jew goes into exile, Hashem's Shekhinah, the divine, also goes into exile. Because when we go into exile, when we behave inappropriately, we take the divine and we cause the divine to go into exile. The divine becomes hidden and concealed. When the temple existed, the whole world was elevated. God's presence was manifest, was revealed. The Jew was on a higher level. Godliness was accessible, was open, was manifest. When a Jew sinned and he caused the destruction of the temple, it's a consequence. When we sin and we cause the destruction of the temple, we cause the divine to go into concealment. The divine spark or the divine holiness, godliness, becomes concealed and hidden because we affect Hashem. So when we do something wrong, we're schlepping Hashem in all the wrong places. It's not like, okay, listen, I'm taking a break, God. Now I'm going to sin. Please, you stay here. I'm going there. It doesn't work that way. <laughs> Hashem is with us. Whether you like it or not, Hashem is with us. For good or for bad, Hashem is with us. Can't help it. We're tied together. <laughs> we're tied by the hip. We're, 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 we're connected. 
We're a rope, one end of the rope, the other end of the rope, we're all connected, we're tied up together. You can't sever that connection. So when we sin, we're schlepping God into that sin. So God is suffering, is in agony, is in pain. Our pain is his pain because he is, he's there together with us. He is suffering because godliness suddenly becomes hidden and concealed. So we drag God into the dungeon with us. So even if a person has a heart of stone, even if a person couldn't care about anything, how could you not have rahmanas? How can you not have pity and compassion? Firstly, pity and compassion in your own soul. Pity and compassion of the torture that we put our soul through. Pity and compassion for Hashem. Hashem is an innocent victim here. Well, what do you want from Hashem's life? What are you schlepping him into the pit, into the dungeon? What are you schlepping him in Allah Shavar Tziyar? What are you schlepping Hashem in? What do you want from him? Poor, poor. <laughs> Have Rachmanis. This is the esoteric doctrine of the exile of the Shema. A Jew's sin causes his soul to be exiled within the domain of the creeper. This in turn, so to speak, exiles the shkina, the source of his soul, too. Pondering this matter will awaken within a Jew a profound feeling of compassion for his soul and for its source. This compassion, as the author ready will now point out, should be utilized in one's study of Torah and performance of mitzvah. This will elevate his soul, enabling it to reunite with its source, the blessed unseen. Concerning this matter, that the pity is all the greater, since even the soul's source is an exile, it is written, and let him return to God and have mercy upon him. So the simple meaning is that you should return to God, and then God will have mercy on you. But the verse states, virachamehu, virachamehu would seem to refer to God himself. So the Al-Tarebi explains, Hashem, you should return to God. But what will arouse you to turn to God? What will cause you to turn to God? By having mercy and compassion, having pity for for God Himself. When you realize the mercy and the state of God, the state that God is in, that we schlep God into the abyss, into all the dreck, into all the garbage, into all the schmutz, and we have Rachmanus and Hashem, we have pity and compassion on Hashem, that arouses you to do teshuva. That awakens within you. When you see, when you see someone in a miserable condition, you have rachmanus. Especially a Jew. A Jew by nature, we're compassionate people. Have rachmanus. But when you realize the rachmanus, you realize what the soul is up against. And you realize the situation. It's existential situation. And then to add insult to injury, the choices that we make at the crossroads that we face, and all the wrong choices that we make, how we just deepen the problem. And then you realize how Rachmanus, Rachmanus and Hashem, and the divine presence, that godliness is so hidden and so concealed as a result of our action, our behavior. God is in agony, God is suffering with us, through us. You have Rachmanus. When you see someone in a miserable situation, you have Rachmanus, you have compassion, you have pity. Your heart melts, and you want to do something to alleviate them. Having mercy doesn't mean you go home and you cry and you go back to sleep. When you have mercy on someone, when you have pity on someone, when you have compassion on someone, you're motivated to do something. So too, when you have Rachmanus, when you realize the pity and the compassion on your soul, it lights a fire, it motivates you. Let me do something about it. And I could do something about it. How can I do something about it? By returning to Hashem. 
by studying Torah and doing mitzvot, that's how I can do something about it, and that, and that we'll learn more in the, next, uh, in the next class. But it motivates you, it prompts you to study Torah and to do mitzvot in order to um, uh, help out the soul and help out Hashem. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.